Hey guys, we want to welcome you to another Anthem online service. We are so happy that you've chosen to join us and we have a lot of fun things in store for today's service. Yeah, just a couple things we want to let you know about. Uh, we're gearing up to launch season three of Anthem. We are yes. very excited about this. We've been in season two, which has been awesome. But season three, we have some amazing things planned. This is going to be launching on October 2. October 2, season three, we actually are starting a second service. Uh, we have two services every Saturday starting October 2. One will be 10.30 a.m. and the next will be at 12 noon. So season three is going to be filled with some amazing and awesome things and we want you to be a part of it. I'm so excited to see that Anthem is growing and the community and everything. It has been so amazing to be a part of that. And so we'll see you October 2. That is not that far away. And, you know, service is about to start. So let's go ahead and go in. I want to invite you to take out your phones. Take out your phones. We're going to have a multiple choice quiz. Seem like you can't escape those, huh? Since today we're talking about Abram and Lot, we're going to have a multiple choice quiz on Abraham. He's a, he's a well-known person in Scripture. So just, I'll try to move around here so you can get the QR code up on, on the screen, or you can type in polev.com dash backward slash L-L-U-C to get to the right place. All right, so question number one. Question number one. Abraham was Nahor's first, second, third, fourth, or fifth son. Abram was Nahor's first, second, third, fourth, fifth son. All right, now we got to stop it. Because remember last week, you all started changing on me as soon as you found out the right answer. So, <laughs> all right, we'll stop it about right there. So, very good. So clearly the winner is A, the first one, but the truth is he was Nahor's third son. Uh-oh. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I had to go check that out myself. So we're on the same page there. All right, number two, the meaning of Abraham's name is Prince. One who contends with God, the father of a multitude, friend of God, or God is exalted. So which one will you choose? Well, wow. Father of a multitude run away with that. All right, we'll stop right there. That is correct. The father of a multitude. So we're one for two. Number three, Lot was Abraham's brother, son, father, brother-in-law, or nephew. So what was Lot to Abraham? Have mercy. Not even close. You are correct. He was his nephew. So we're two out of three. You're doing well. Number four. The Bible records Abraham as having how many sons? One, two, five, eight, or twelve? One, two, five, eight, or twelve? All right. Well, well we've got just all-out winners today. I mean, in terms of the number of people voting for them, because that one's wrong. <laughs> but anyway, you had eight. Eight. So we're two for four. I mean, you know, you know two, but you know the patriarchs. So anyway, number five, the New Testament writer who refers to Abraham as the friend of God is Paul, Luke, John, James, or Peter. Paul, Luke, John, James, or Peter. All right. Still moving a little bit. Getting close between Paul and James. We'll go to about right there, and we'll stop it. All right, it was James. James, two for five. Well, don't worry. 
first service was two for five also. <laughs> in fact, I think I was two for five and I wrote the question. So anyway, <laughs> uh, some tough questions about Abraham. It's one thing to sit in an auditorium and take a quiz on your phone, multiple choice quiz, and try to see if you can get the right answer. It's a very different thing to live in the rough and tumble of life, to face key decisions, and then to hope you didn't make the wrong decision. Those are two very different realities. In fact, we can't talk about decision-making like we've been doing this camp meeting season without talking about what happens when we make the wrong decision. Because I have no question but that in this auditorium today between you and me, we have made wrong decisions. I've made more than my share of them. And my guess is somebody here would share that with me. You've made a decision that has made a profound difference in your life or in somebody else's life. All kinds of decisions that we make, and some of them can have lasting negative consequences. A relationship that broke up, a lie that you told and ruined someone's reputation, a lie that was told about you and the way you responded to that. Maybe it was a, a friend that you had for many years and, and the way the relationship ended continues to haunt you to this day. I could have handled that better. Maybe it's financial decisions. I don't know what kind of decision it is, but my guess is that by this point in your life, there are already one or two decisions that you're thinking, I'm not sure I made the right decision. Somebody may be sitting here today thinking, what about my marriage? Should I really marry this person? Did I marry the right person? It's a sinking feeling. What do you do? What leads to that kind of a decision? And then how do you respond to it? And especially, how does God respond to it? So for some insight into that today, we're going to the story of Abram and Lot. It's found in Genesis, the 13th chapter. Let me give you just a bit of background. Abram and Lot have just returned from Egypt. They've moved north out of Egypt, up into the area we know as the Promised Land. They're coming back wealthy. Both of them are wealthy. Things didn't go so well for Abram in Egypt. He told a little white lie about his wife, and it about changed the whole trajectory of her life and his. Well, they were able to come out of that relatively unscathed and also very wealthy. Well, the fact that both Abraham and Lot, he was actually still Abram at that time, Abram and Lot were both wealthy, sets up the conflict that becomes key in Lot's decision. So we're going to read the whole story. It takes a couple of moments, but it's worth it. Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. Then Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. 
This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived in the cities of the plain and pitched his tents toward Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around you from where you are to the north and the south, the east and the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. They come back wealthy. That verse, that word in verse 2, wealthy, in the original literally means heavy, weighted down. They're loaded. They come back wealthy. And that sets up the challenge, the problem, and the difficulty because there simply is not enough pasture land for both. And so Abram, revealing the great soul that is his, says to Lot, Choose. Where do you want to go? What part of the land do you want? You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. You choose. Now that reveals a magnanimous soul on Abram's part. After all, Lot was the son of Abram's dead brother, Haran, whom Abram took under his wing when his brother had died. He made him a part of his family, a part of his clan. Wherever Abram went, Lot now went. Lot enjoyed protection and comfort and family relationships, travel. He was part of the family now. He owed everything to Abram. What interests me, though, is not Abram, magnanimous soul that he is, but Lot. Because Lot now faces a decision. He's about to make a decision, a bad decision. In fact, he's about to make a decision that is so bad that it will be catastrophic for the future of his, fam of his family. So I want to pause, slow down a bit, and consider how and why Lot made the decision he did. Where it landed him. And what God might have thought about it. So I think there are three elements that went into Lot's decision that we ought to tend to, we ought to pay attention to today. The first element was that Lot's decision was ill-mannered. Ill-mannered. It's like, come on, Lot. You owe everything to Abram. And when Abram has the depth of soul to give you the privilege of making the decision, of making the choice, you're going to choose the best part of the land? Seriously? In the conventions and the customs of his day, that would not have happened with any decent person. The only response Lot could have given to honor the realities of the day would have been when Abraham said, here, here's the choice. You make the decision that he would say, oh, no, 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 Uncle Abram, you, you have done everything for me. I owe you everything that I have. You make the choice. And then I'll take what's left. You're on your first day of residency. You're the new kid on the block. You're on the unit, and it just so happens that day, they have a potluck. You're in the break room. There's one piece of cake left. You're looking at it. And so is the chief resident. 
And she smiles at you and says, would you like it? And you say, giddy up. And while you're chewing, you wink at her. Seriously? Are you nuts? You just made the team. You just survived the cut. But here you are, a player on the team. Now the football dream is yours. First trip out of town, you're there first. You're ready to board the plane as soon as it opens. They open the plane, the steps up, you get there, the coach is coming, and a very unusual move, he kind of nods for you to go. So you go up the stairs, board the plane, take the first seat in the first row of first class. I beat the coach. Seriously? You're going to do that? Your name is Lot. You owe everything to this man who says to you, here, the land is before you. You choose. And I'll take what's left. And you say, you see that fertile crescent right there where everything is green? That's mine. Seriously? Incredibly ill-mannered. What are you thinking? In fact, as I read the story this week, I wanted to stand up and stand up for Abram. Put Lot in his place. Somebody in third service sent me a story. Emailed me a story. An elderly woman in line at the bank gets to the front to the teller, slides her bank card across to the teller and says, I would like to withdraw $500 from my account. The teller, busy and hairy, looks and says, I'm sorry, ma'am, anything less than 1000 you can get in the ATM outside. We've got a line behind you. Well, it's so much easier here. I'd like to do it here. Ma'am, those are the rules. Please, you can do it outside. Next. The elderly lady doesn't move. She says, okay, then I would like to withdraw all the money in my account. Fine. She types a moment, and her eyes get big, and her face pales. And she leans forward and respectfully says, Ma'am, we don't have that kind of money in cash at the bank. You have $35 million in your account. Well, how much can I withdraw? Well, our policy for today, it, the most could be 250000 Then give me 250000 Well, there's a flurry of activity behind the counter until finally they bring it out and they push it to her. She peels off five $100 bills, puts them in her purse. And then she pushes the stack back to the teller and says, I'd like to deposit 249500 in my account. <laughs> and I read that story and I said, take that lot. Come on. What's wrong with you? What kind of ill-mannered person are you? And then I read a quote from a man named Lyman Beecher who said simply this, the error of youth is mistaking intelligence for experience and the error of age is mistaking experience for intelligence. Well, I think Abraham had both. Magnanimous soul, Lot 
You choose. And ill-mannered that he is, Lot says, that's what I want. That's the first element in his decision. But his decision is not only ill-mannered, it's also self-serving. Self-serving. I want to go back to Genesis 13 and just reread a couple of, of verses here of what happens there. Genesis 13, verse 10 and the first part of verse 11. <clears throat> Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. He looks out and says... I want what's best. I know how to look out for number one. I'm going to take care of my own needs. I don't care about Father Abram. He's, he can take care of himself. I'm going to look out for my own family, my own flocks and herds and needs. It's a very self-serving choice. That's what he's going to take care of. Himself. In fact, I want to read you John Hartley, Old Testament scholar, gives us a window into what it was that Lot chose. He writes, looking out, Lot was greatly impressed by the rich Jordan Valley being so fertile that it was comparable to the Garden of Yahweh, that is Eden, and to the land of Egypt. This deep rift valley lies some 1,200 feet below sea level. Thus, the climate is warm all year, with temperatures ranging from the pleasant 80s in winters to well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit in summer. It receives virtually no rainfall. During the cold winters that buffet the Canaanite hills, this region offers pleasant relief. At the north side of the Dead Sea, springs channeled for irrigation permit the growing of lush crops year-round. Therefore, farming in that region approximates the kind of farming done in Egypt, a desert made fertile by the Nile. He could see what was happening there. He could see what it would provide for him. He said, okay, I want that. That's for me. Writing in The Christian Reader, a woman named Olive Fernward tells about an incident in her home when they were celebrating a birthday party. She, her daughter, her grandchildren, and the daughter was cutting the cake. As she's cutting the cake, the daughter's son says in a very loud voice, I want the biggest piece. To which Olive's Daughter, the son's mother, said, that's not polite. To which he said, in consternation, then how do you get it? That's Lot's philosophy. If I'm not going to ask for it, how am I going to get it? I'll just step up and stand up and take over and do what I need to do to take care of my needs and what I have. Jesus faced the same thing in his ministry. Time and again, the gospel writers tell us that the disciples were fighting among themselves as to who would be first, who was best, who would be in control. In fact, in one of the most befuddling, in my mind, incidents in the gospel, Jesus has just finished telling them, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die. Just finished saying that. And the very next words, or James and John's mother coming, saying, can my sons have the top spots in your kingdom? It's like, what, what did I miss? He just said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. Can we have the top spots? It's the same kind of spirit, that self-serving spirit. How can I get it if I don't ask for it? So I'm going to ask for it. I'm going to get it. When I read that, 
and recognize some of myself in that. I realize what Jesus could have said to James and John's his mother. He could have said, yeah, they can have the top spots. There'll be a cross on my right and a cross on my left. They can hang with me at my coronation at Calvary. Is that what you want? So Lot is in the process of making a decision. He's been offered that opportunity by his uncle. He makes a decision that's ill-mannered. He makes a decision that's self-serving. But thirdly, he makes a decision that's short-sighted. That's truly, breathtakingly short-sighted. Again, just a couple of verses from the story. Back to Genesis 13, this time starting in verse 12. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. You have to picture what things looked like to Lot as he looked at the land that Abraham was going to inherit. It would have looked like a vast wilderness. In American historical terms, like the Wild West. There was nothing dependable, nothing steady, nothing stable, nothing that would provide for him and for his family. And yet when he looked at this plain, and when he looked at the cities of the plain, he would have said, there is stability. There is permanence. There's something I can depend on. Therefore, that's the choice I'm making. The immediate, the obvious, what seemed clear. And was very short-sighted. Speaking of short-sighted, there was a scientist by the name of Clifford Stoll who wrote an article in Newsweek magazine back in the mid-90s. The title of the article was The Internet? Question mark. Bah! Exclamation point. He said, there is nothing to this. This is a passing fad. In fact, after he wrote the article, he was interviewed on a radio show where he said this. I expect the value of the Internet for communications in general isn't very high. I don't think it will ever replace face-to-face -face meetings and real rallies. <laughs> I mean, man, COVID. Things that get commitment and involvement from people are what will last. Rather, this induces a very shallow involvement, and as such, I think it's grossly overpromoted, and there's a great deal of hyperbole surrounding it. The Internet. I think it's grossly oversold, and within two or three years, people will shrug and say, oh yeah, it was a fad of the early 90s. It still exists, but I've got life to lead, work to do, I don't have time to waste online. I'll get my email and read it. Why should I bother prowling around the World Wide Web? Simply because there's so little of value there. I mean, it made sense from where he stood. stood. But short-sighted enough that 10 years later at a TED conference, this is what he said. If you really want to know about the future, don't ask a technologist, a scientist, a physicist. No, don't ask somebody who's writing code. No, if you want to know what society is going to be like in 20 years, ask a kindergarten teacher. Well, apparently there weren't any kindergarten teachers around for Lot. And so Lot makes his decision. Ill-mannered, self-serving, short-sighted, my decision is made. The writer of Genesis tries to clue us in by including names 
Because he knows that if we read the full account of Genesis, we'll recognize those names. In fact, he refers to their destiny in this passage. If we read on to Genesis 19, we realize that Zoar is the little town to which Lot fled with his daughters when the conflagration descended and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Terrible decision. He would live to deeply regret it. Now the question, the question is how do we relate to that? What should we do as we encounter Lot's story? The first thing I would suggest is we ought to ask some questions. We ought to look at the three ways that were involved in his decision and ask ourselves questions about those. It was ill-mannered. Let's ask ourselves, what kind of person am I? How do I relate to the other people in my life? How do I honor people that I'm with? How do I respect people in the decision that I'm making? How do I do what I need to do and yet not denigrate them? Does God need to deepen me, to grow me, to change me, to transform me? Self-serving? Am I willing to climb on other people, to step on other people, to use them as a ladder on my way to the top, to damage their chances along the way? Am I willing to do them in just to get me up to the top? Am I willing to make choices for service? And then what about that third one? Short-sighted. Maybe I ought to ask myself questions about the future as I make the decision. God, what will this future look like tomorrow when the sun rises? What will it look like next week, next month, nine months from now? What will it look like in 10 years? God, give me the perspective of eternity. Give me your eyes. Help me to remember that simple word of advice from Stephen Covey. Begin with the end in mind. Give me a longer view than Lot appeared to ever have possessed. That's one way we relate to it. But there's a second question. A second reality which we cannot miss because import, as important as those questions are, as important as it is to sort it through, to think it through, to talk it through, to pray it through, as important as all of that is, in some cases, it's too late. The decision is already made. The relationship has already been ruined. The, the, the marriage has already been ended. The money has already been spent. The credit card is already maxed out. The ill-mannered, self-serving, short-sighted decision has been made. Now what? What does God do? If you follow the story, when Genesis 19 comes, and the city's time clock is running down. God is right there with Lot. God comes after him. Sends divine messengers to find him, to seek him out, to say, Lot, I care about you. I love you. I want a relationship with you. I know that you've made a wrong choice, but I want to rescue you from what is going to happen. In fact, if you read the story in Genesis 19, God is so focused on regaining his child, his son, on recapturing him, on saving him, that it is as though he says, look, I will do everything, even drag you out of here by the hair if I have to, 
but I'm going to save you. I refuse to let you go. Someone I know well, a long way from this community, made some incredibly ill-mannered, self-serving, short-sighted decisions. In fact, made so many of them that they began to mount up. This was somebody who had grown up in church, had grown up in Bible study, had grown up in worship, had grown up going to Christian schools, had grown up knowing everything about all the stuff that we talk about. But had somehow missed having a heart captured by God. Choice after choice began to snowball. So finally there came a moment, a moment in a drug-induced alcohol haze that he thought, I'm not going to live through this one. Unbeknownst to him, a lot of miles away, his father had a profound dis-ease in his soul. Said to this young man's older sister, we've got to go get him. People in that community have said, you've got to let him go. Let him face his own consequences. Let him live up to his own decisions. You can't save him anymore. But this father said, I will save him. Took his daughter in the car and they drove. When they came to that little hovel that he was surviving in and opened the door, they couldn't believe it. They thought, how does a child like you end up in a place like this? And that father said, I'm not leaving this place without you. And they packed him up, put him in the car, and took him home. This was 20 years ago. I just talked with him few days ago, still deeply aware that all the bad choices he made were bringing him to the end of the line until his father said, I will not let you go, and came after him. His name might as well be Lot, because that's exactly what God did. God came after Lot and God said, I will find you, I will rescue you, I will save you. And he will do the same for you. If you sit there today thinking, I have made a terrible decision in my life. It's damaging me and it's damaging others at deep levels. It haunts me at night. It keeps me up. I don't know what to do. Then one thing I can tell you without any hesitation, God is there with you. He will not abandon you to your unwise decisions. His compassion will drive him to reach out to you and draw you back to himself. Because of that, I can tell you the simple thought, the simple key thought of Lot's life is God can even redeem your poorly motivated bad decisions. That's the business he's in. So here we are at camp meeting, working on multiple choice, trying to decide as you stand at the crossroads of your life, as you seek to make decisions 
about your life, which of these options will be meaningful to you, will be helpful to you, will be most important to you? Will it be option A, character, your moral and ethical fiber? Option B, counsel, who has your ear? Option C, composition, what makes you tick? Or could it maybe be option D, compassion? God's powerful and wonderful and never-ending heart of compassion. To look on His children, who too often think only of ourselves, and make decisions that damage others as well as us and then don't know where to turn. And God says, you don't have to turn somewhere because I'm right there. My heart of compassion is with you and will redeem even your worst choices, will empower you to live with whatever natural consequences have grown out of that, and will walk with you into a future. So I don't know which option you might choose. But I do hope you wait one more week because there's a fifth option to come. But in between times, between now and next week, remember Lot, remember your decision, and remember that God is never far away. Hey, what an awesome message from Pastor Randy. We hope that you were blessed. We hope that you were inspired this morning. Exactly. And as always, you know, if you would like to support Anthem and also donate, um, you can text LLUC at 77977 to give online. And also, you can follow us, all the many things that are coming up. Season three, we have uh, some exciting student events coming up. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Anthem by LLUC. Hey guys, we're so excited that you are part of this journey with us, watching online. Uh, we're excited for what's happening, and we will see you next weekend.